0: Hello and welcome to Journey With Us, a podcast of Journey Baptist Church. Hello and welcome to another episode of Into His Word. Today we will be going through Hebrews chapter 10 as we continue our here method through studying God's Word. The first step will be for us to highlight the main phrases and words that stick out to us. So take some time right now to pause and highlight. Now that you've highlighted, I want to share the things that I highlighted with you as well. Not that anything I've highlighted is more significant or less significant. This is just what stuck out to me. When I look at chapter 10, verse 1, I highlighted the word shadow versus reality. I highlighted the phrase, uh, repetitive phrases. We see year after year, year after year. We see time after time, day after day in verse 11. We see many repetitive phrases where the writer of Hebrews is trying to illustrate the futility of something by showing how long the process goes on. Um, I also highlighted in verse 2 his hypothetical question he asked. Anytime the writer asks a hypothetical question, it's a good thing to drill into that question He says in verse two, otherwise wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any conscience of sin. And so he asks a question and then he goes back to the repetitive nature of saying this is a reminder of sins year after year. I also in verse four highlight the word impossible. I think extreme words are worthy of our attention. Anytime we see words like never, always, impossible, that's important for us to see the point he's driving home as well. As we continue, we look at verse 18. Verse 18 has a shift in the tone. He says, now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And so I highlighted this tone, and that gets us to verses 19 through 39 verse 19 starts with the word therefore anytime you see a word like therefore it's good to take special note of the point he's trying to make and so i then highlighted after this boldness therefore brothers and sisters we have boldness and so you start to juxtapose the idea of sin and day after day and year after year and the futility Of the sacrificial system to now this boldness we have to enter in to the sanctuary I then started noticing a shift in his tone in verse 23 he starts saying let us he says in verse 23 let us hold on to the confession verse 24 let us consider one another and then there's a implicit let us in verse 25 not neglecting to gather together you could easily say, Let us not neglect to gather together. As we continue, we look at verse 26. I highlight the word deliberately. If we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. That word deliberate is really key to me. It's a unique word that we don't say too often, but when we do say it, it means something very significant. Verse 27, terrifying expectation of judgment. If you are deliberate in your sin, that deliberate sin is then met with terrifying judgment. I then highlighted more extreme phrases. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think they will deserve for those who trample on the Son of God? We see this escalation once again of deliberately sinning, and then trampling on the Son of God, and then a final escalation of regarding profane as profane, the blood of the covenant. And so then these extreme phrases about how we are disrespecting Jesus through deliberate sin is met with another extreme phrase in verse 31. It is terrifying to fall into the hands of the living God. And so we see, At least from my perspective, what I highlighted was the repetitive nature of the sacrificial system combined with the once-and-for-allness of the sacrifice of Jesus, then combined with the terror and dread that comes with disregarding that sacrificial system. And so as we explain these, as we go to the E in our Here journal, we explain that If the sacrificial system could perfect us, then why does the sacrificial system need to keep going? That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Like I said in verse 2, the hypothetical question. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any conscience of sin? As in, if the sacrificial system worked, wouldn't there be a point in which they would stop offering sacrifices because people would be forgiven? But then he explains that it is impossible, in verse 4, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, and that it was Jesus who was coming into the world, as in verse 6 and 7, that shows how it is the body of Christ being offered once and for all time, verse 10, that is the ultimate sacrifice. That, verse 14, we are perfected forever, those who are sanctified. And so as we compare then verse 2 and verse 14, we see there is a difference. Verse 2, there is a over and over and over offering, but then you compare that to verse 14, there is one offering, and through that one offering, we can be forgiven forever. And then in verse 18, now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And so the application that that comes from this is found in the next half of Hebrews 10. As we apply these statements to our lives, we either are found in obedience, applying this, or in deliberate sin, not applying this. And so what does it look like to be in obedience? How do we apply the fact that Jesus died once and for all for sins, how do we keep that from being just a ethereal concept in our mind to something that we live with day in and day out and apply it to our lives Well, the good news is that he gives us the application in verses 19 through 25. He says for us to boldly enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, as in to come before God and pray and worship God. He says to do this with a full assurance of faith, so not to waver, but to come to Jesus believing that Jesus has forgiven us that we are to, in verse 23, hold fast to our confession without wavering, that we are to consider one another, that we provoke one another to good works, that we don't neglect getting together, but we encourage each other. And so really, how do we apply in our lives the fact that Jesus has died for us, that he is the once and for all sacrifice for us? The way we do that is through our local church membership, through worshiping God, through our daily Bible reading, for confessing our sins to God, by being in accountability with one another, confessing our sins to one another, and then also by spurning each other on for good works. We can't do that if we're not in a body of Christ. If we are in a body of Christ though, and we see our brother or sister sinning, we can then go and encourage them to not sin, to repent of that sin. In the same way, by us subjecting ourselves to the body of Christ and to church membership, we are then asking the church to confront us, to spurn us on for good works as well. But there's a flip side to this coin and is a terrifying flip side. In verse 26, it says, if we deliberately go on sinning after knowing this, there's going to be no longer forgiveness, but it is going to be a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And what does this mean for application? Does this mean that we can lose our salvation or that if we if we sin, we're going to go to hell immediately? No. What this means is, this is why we practice church discipline. If you are in sin in the body of Christ and your brother or sister comes to you and says, you are sinning. And then you either respond and say, you're right, and I repent, or you say, no, I'm going to keep on sinning because I love my sin more than Jesus. If you continually go down that road of deliberately sinning, even though you have received the knowledge of what God wants for you, ultimately, you will be cast out you will be thrown out of the uh, house of God and that you will sit there and you will love your sin more than Jesus, ultimately revealing that you were never a true convert. And all that's left is for you to be thrown into outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth because you trampled on the sacrifice that God offered for you. I know it's a scary thing to think about this. We don't often talk this way, but it is necessary for us to understand That really, even though we are saved by grace through faith, even though we are once saved, always saved, the evidence of our salvation is going to be based on these let us statements in verses 19 through 25. If we are the type of people who love Jesus and truly are saved the way that we think we are, then we will boldly Follow after Jesus. We will hold fast onto what he has done for us. We will spurn others onto good works, and we ourselves will want to be spurned onto good works. If we are sitting there loving our sin, holding on to our sin, it doesn't matter how much we say we love Jesus. Like Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Ultimately, who we choose to love, who we choose to follow, tells us who is our master. And so, Our response in prayer today is simply one of saying, God, let me be the one that is found in obedience. Let me be the one that loves you more than sin. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that by his blood, we no longer need sacrifices, but we can be cleansed once and for all. But Father God, It is not just enough for us to pray a simple prayer and then assume that we are good for the rest of our life. But God, the evidence of our salvation is going to be found in loving the things that you love and hating the things that you hate. And God, if any of us listening to this are harboring sin, if we are deliberately going on sinning, I pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will cause us to repent of that sin before it is too late and we give ourselves over to our sin and love our sin rather than you, God. Help everyone in this audience, help everyone listening to this podcast to be the ones that do not draw back and are destroyed, like verse 39 says, but rather those who have faith and are saved.